podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at ibroxrocks.com. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that, like the team, took a few weeks off at the end of the season. This week on Heart and Hand, well, at least it's over. So welcome to Heart and Hand, uh, the Rangers podcast. My name's David Edgar, I'm your host and I'm your sole guest this week. Yes, it's uh, one of those memorable, collectible, nobody else is here pods and uh, there are various reasons for that. The main one being is everybody's on holiday, um, which is what's happened for the last few weeks, so it's been hard to, to get anybody in to do a pod. Uh, what happened, of course, was that the season was elongated by the playoffs, but unfortunately our pod windows uh, to record the pod weren't so we only had room for two more and we decided to wait till the dust had settled before we came at you and we will have a big end of season summer extravaganza so we'll round that up for you then so where to begin well let's start with the playoffs <laughs> yeah where do you start the fact is we weren't good enough um, although we got through against Queen of the South we were hanging on in that second match uh, after really playing on the break in the first one against Hibs, I felt we got run all over the first half, uh, run all over the top of. I thought our shape was wrong. We did get the goal, and then got the second and defended manfully. We could easily have lost at Easter Road, and then obviously we were never in, never in the the matches against Motherwell. That was extremely disappointing because in both matches, what happened was you clearly had two teams who were very nervous. And if we could have got the first goal in either, it would have been interested. But to be honest, we never really looked like it. We huffed and puffed. And we looked like what we were in that match, really. A, a team with very little ability, even less confidence, mutual antipathy between the fans and the players. And I think it all came home to roost on that day. In terms of decent performers, you know, Kenny Miller does what he can. Andy Murdoch is playing fantastically well for a kid his age but it's a lot to ask him to be the whole midfield as happened against Hibbs when I felt he was he was overrun badly and let down by the players around him. Shields has improved but as we've spoken about before when you improve from being three or four out of ten to five or six people think well he's a lot better than he was but is he still at the level that we needed him to be? The defence is a nightmare. I mean it absolutely is a nightmare. Darren McGregor got the player of the year and he'd done all right. Darren McGregor did all right. But if his level of performance was the best that Rangers had, and it was, then God help us, because it wouldn't have been acceptable at any other point in our history bar these last three years. Zaliukas had an excellent game against Hibs, but uh, overall his contribution's been pretty terrible. Ricky Foster actually did all right in an attacking sense in the in the matches uh, in the playoff. He, he created a few, however, defensively still a nightmare. And there was a moment against Motherwell when they were two 0 up uh, in the second leg, and Foster was upfield. The ball he lost it. The Motherwell player ran with it, and he just jogged back. And I thought, you know, Ricky Foster there just became the living embodiment of this Rangers team. People have said, is this the, the worst Rangers team of all time? And we say, well, you know, obviously the worst Rangers team of all time was the one in the third division because it was losing to teams in the third division. But in terms of dislike from the fans, I think this one very much was. 
it was hard all through the season to find any empathy with them at all. They had nothing that you want from a team. First of all, they didn't have ability, and you can't manufacture that. They were a very poor collection of footballers, a very limited collection of footballers. But they hid. They had no heart. They didn't get stuck in. They didn't look fit, which surely is a prerequisite of any footballer. They, they are as fit as they possibly can be. Uh, and it's not just me who thought that. Dave King has come out and said that the players didn't look fit. I think it was universally accepted that they weren't fit. And I think that does go back to Ali McCoist's, well, the difference between full-time players and part-time players these days is minimal. And that's his words, minimal. It shouldn't be. It absolutely shouldn't be. There's no reason for it to be from a full-time point of view. There's a limit to how fit players can get if they're part-time. And the fact that we couldn't, be miles and miles ahead of them and that the manager didn't think it was an issue I think it's redolent of the culture that went through Ibrox uh, in Ali's time and unfortunately it stained the future because Stuart McCall came in and, and one thing I will say is he got the team as fit as he could in that short space of time because if you look at how they played his first match against Livingston they went off like a train for 20 minutes the dead cat bounces as Scott would put it and then they were blown out their arse by half time he got them reasonably fit, he gave them a system and he played the guys who would do the job but in the end they weren't good enough and it does leave a lot of questions for, for Stuart McCall's future which we'll come to in a second. Obviously the things about the playoffs that, that were positive were the crowds. Um, a five or a ticket certainly made it more affordable and Ibrox was rocking I thought for both matches. Uh, there was a great atmosphere at both matches. There's something special about a midweek game uh, in the, the kind of summer months, although any of you who have been in Scotland will know that the term summer was being used probably in an ironic fashion because it was it was pretty brutal. But um, the, the crowd were great. They were really up for it. And people were saying, well, that's you know great if we can turn that into season tickets. That will be interesting to see if we can turn that into season tickets because I'm of the belief that Football has entered a weird place where loyalty will no longer keep you going to the match. There was a season ticket culture between 1985 and probably 2010 where you just you got your season ticket, that's what you did. Um, but I think that there was still that element of that's what you had to do. There wasn't a lot of other forms of entertainment. Men went to the pub, went to the football. That, that was something that we did. In the last few years... The thing that I think has kept season ticket culture up has been the competition between Rangers and Celtic. That you know you couldn't sell all your tickets, or we've got X amount of season ticket holders. But I think that there's a diminishing amount of people who want to go and watch football eighteen to twenty times a season. You'll always have your hardcore that never miss a match, go to every away game, and you'll always have fans who want a season ticket go every week. But I'm not sure if any team in Scotland are going to maintain those levels of season ticket numbers. I think that there's a lot of people who will consider themselves football fans, will watch a lot of football, but who may want to go to live matches two or three times uh, every quarter, much in the same way that they go to the cinema or they go to concerts. I think that that's something that is going to become more and more prevalent, and that's a frightening thing, that people will pick or choose their matches, not because that they're trying to send a message to a board of directors or not because that they are desperate to you know to to show the world that uh, things aren't going well i think just because habitually that's what will happen 
And I hope I'm wrong, but I, I can certainly see that people are choosing to use their leisure time in different ways. There's certainly a lot more options than, than when I was a kid, and I don't see that being any different now. So, of course, the scenes at Fur Park after the match and during the match, I think that the Bill El Mosney thing, while it was disgraceful and it was deplorable, it was also quite funny. Come on, be honest. It was. It was quite funny. And Lee Irwin did start it. And, you know, I don't know what happened in your playground at school, but if a guy shoved you behind, you turned around and rattled him. And uh, certainly most parents told their kids to do that. And I think that what was interesting was, had that not happened, in my opinion, no further action would have been taken over anything. The Motherwell player... Uh, Motherwell fan, sorry, hitting Lee McCulloch in the face with his flag. That was deliberate. You know, no matter people saying, oh, it was a, uh, it wasn't a deliberate act. It clearly was a deliberate act. He knew what he was doing, and I'm sure it was just a split second reaction on behalf of the bloke. But he still did it, and the fact that he was allowed to stay in the match is is ridiculous. Then there was at the end the Motherwell fans running on the park trying to goad the Rangers supporters into a reaction. This to me is a sign of something that's been happening in Scottish football for, for quite a while where when you when you portray people as the boogeymen, as the bad guys, as, as this nasty, amorphous mess that we're faceless, we're not people where the Rangers support this big one undulating thing that it's okay to hate. When you dehumanise, you allow people to behave in a far more bovine fashion than is allowed, and that's exactly what happened. Motherwell fans were stirred up beyond any reasonable amount for that match and it's more than they would have been for any other team because they are allowed, they're told that it's it's okay to be as boorish as they want because it's Rangers and it's such a sickening process that what they basically are told by the media in this country, by the powers that be is that Rangers fans are scum so you can act as scummy as you want with them and there will be no comeback on you for it and that was exactly what you saw with Motherwell. And the fact is that had Billy Mosney just walked away, then nothing would have been said about Lee Irwin shoving him. But because he reacted, it becomes a big thing. If one of our supporters had struck a, a player with a flag, then it would have been questions asked in Parliament, there would be some it's called. You would never have heard the end of this. If our fans had run on the park, there'd be calls for us to be kicked at the league, to be docked points. But because it was against Rangers, it's okay. It's very frustrating, but it's very dangerous because you're going down a path where when people are told that you don't need to act with basic decency toward Rangers fans, you know where that leads to. It's going to lead to violence. I'm very uncomfortable with it, and I think it's irresponsible of the people in the media. I think it's it's pretty sad that this sort of thing, this sort of double standard is allowed to happen, and it needs the club to stand up for us now. If the club want to keep people on board, they need to show that we're all in this together. That's certainly a way of boosting season ticket sales. If you look at Celtic, they're embarrassing, but they stand up for their fans. I mean, they write letters to appease their nutty fans, but it works for them. They have that relationship. And I would like our club, believe it or not, to take a leaf out of Celtic's, uh, Celtic Board's book because for all that we might laugh and complain and moan, it does react to what their supporters want and our board doesn't. Celtic only care about Celtic and Rangers have to get back into that position. So, the 11 players who were out of contract have all left and isn't that a tragic stat? Can you imagine that? That at any other club there's 11 players told play for a contract and not one of them manages to achieve it. Just let that sink in. That just shows you how brutal 
these players were. They were overpaid. They were garbage, and they won't be. They won't be much missed. I think the one I would probably make an exception for there is Lee McCulloch, because although the last couple of seasons has definitely seen his luster go, the fact is Lee McCulloch did stay. And before you start saying, "I oh, well, he wouldn't have got another deal," it doesn't matter. He did stay, and we all knew he was going to stay. And I remember the way he stepped up when we went into administration, which gets forgotten about. He shouldn't have been around. He was a cart horse this season and the way he was fitted into the team was bad. He was also a spectacularly poor captain, which surprised me. Um, he wouldn't get involved. He, he wouldn't defend his team. He, he was often very laughing and joking with the opposition. But at the end of the day, Lee McCulloch did play for Rangers for eight seasons and uh, that's good service, no matter no matter who you are. So I thank him for that, but it was definitely time for him to leave. As for the rest of them, um, they'll be quickly forgotten and not much missed. And that's that's just a fact. There's nothing about them that uh, I think anyone will, will remember with any real fondness. The most bizarre one, of course, was Chris Boyd, who will probably go back to Kilmarnock and score a barrel of the goals. I don't know what happened. It wasn't a lack of effort, because he did try. Um, you can question his fitness, but you can question everybody else's fitness. And it wasn't a lack of chances. That's, you know, I remember the Daily Record a couple of months ago when Stuart McCall came in saying, you need to feed Chris Boyd as if he somehow wasn't getting the ball. He was. He was missing chances. And he just had a, a, an awful season where well, nothing would, would go right for him and chances that he would have buried in his pomp he failed to, uh, to bury so we've cleared out some of the deadwood some remains uh, Kenny Miller if you're listening do us all a favour and please retire because you know you're willing certainly but there's nothing there absolutely nothing there and there is some more deadwood that will need to be chopped away before we before we can take things to, to the next level don't forget and it's easier when you're living through this to go, well, you know, blah, blah, this is just the situation we were in and all this happened. Rangers finished third in the championship. Before, what had happened to us was what people had done to us. This was our own fault. It was the Spivs, certainly, that caused it, but this was our own fault. Ali McCoist is one of us and he played a huge part in this. He made Rangers the third best team in the championship and deservedly so, by the way because both teams that finished above us were better sides than we were. We'll look at Ali's overall contribution, uh, and that word's in inverted commas, once we do the big kind of summer roundup pod, but it was a catastrophe. I mean, it was a disaster of epic proportions. The fact that this man thought that that squad, even at its best, would be able to do something as a worry. The fact that he thought that squad prepared half-arsed, not fit, basically just turning up, having a ball for a few seasons, would somehow be good enough is staggering. And he was completely showing up. And if Ali wants to prove us wrong, take a job somewhere else and show us that your methods were right, it was just circumstances. He won't because surely nobody with a brain would touch him. He is an atrocious football manager, a genuinely, I mean, clearly the worst manager Rangers have ever had. People will point to Le Guin. Le Guin had success elsewhere and was only here for a few months. But it was Ali by a million miles. He was literally good at nothing. He was no good at PR, which is odd given his background. He was no good at tactics. He was no good at training. He was no good at keeping his players happy even. You thought that they must be loving the holiday camp, but in the end they were kind of like... It reminded me at school when you'd get a supply teacher and he would let the bullies run wild and the rest of the class were miserable as well. And that was exactly what happened here. Uh, you could see it with certain players, although we, we won't be 
you know, accepting excuses from some of them because the likes of Templeton, yes, he was badly managed, but uh, he offered nothing anyway. So to prepare, uh, prospective managers, I'll say that, there's been a few names mentioned. The one that, that keeps me mentioned is Mark Warburton, and obviously there's the Davy Weir connection. Other names said to be in the frame, Stuart McCall still, uh, Billy Davis, Derek McInnes, Ian Cathro. I'd like to see it be either Cathro or Warburton. I think Cathro would be a bigger risk because he hasn't managed, whereas Warburton has. Warburton also has Davy Weir in terms of helping him with the club. But I really don't want it to be an ex-ranger, a nine in a row, a Largs Mafia guy. I want it to be a, a totally clean break. I want it to be someone who comes in with no baggage, no expectations. And it needs to be someone who is a modern coach. And in, that's why I prefer Warburton, because he is very much a modern coach. He's a self-taught coach. He's a coach who's learned, who's meticulous in his planning, who brings business principles to football. That's what Rangers need. We've run an emotion and spending and uh, the boys can do a job and we're Rangers and our badge beats teams for too long it, it's not working we need something fresh something dynamic something different and we as supporters need patience to, to make that happen the board have to get this right I am slightly stupefied that Stuart McCall is still being considered because if he was the right man for the job he should have been the right man for the job three weeks ago and they should have known it and his win rate was 7-17. Seven and 17. Now, while he was left a mess and the players were rubbish, he failed his audition. End of story. He was asked to finish second. He failed. He finished third. He was asked to take us through the playoffs. He got close, but he failed. You can't keep failing and then be rewarded with a job. If we appoint Stuart McCall, we're only going to have to make this change in a year or two years anyway. So let's just do it right now and get a guy in who can bed for the long term. Dave King came to Scotland this week and uh, said a lot of good things. You know, he didn't miss the players or whatever. I was a wee bit disappointed that he doesn't want to get a director of football in um, because he says what we need is someone to coach the players. Well, that's exactly why we do need a director of football. And we also badly need a CEO. Um, King saved the club. There's no doubt about that. King and Murray and these guys, they saved the club and we have to be grateful to that. So it feels a little bit ungrateful to be saying, get things moving, but get things moving. Uh, I do feel there's a, an element of the whole kind of Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately thing going on here. And that might seem harsh, but that's just the way it is. We need to get things moving. We don't have time. And people say, well, do you want them to get it wrong? No, I want them to do it quickly and get it right. And that, unfortunately, is the kind of demands you'll get in any job uh, in any boss. And it's a big job, but it's one that they've taken on. And it's one we need them to, to get right. Because our season starts in five weeks, um, and, we, and we've got to be prepared for it. We've got to be ready for it. We're not going to have a, a full pre-season, and bet you come the first defeat, the words pre-season will be mentioned, but that's just the circumstances we find ourselves in. We've got to deal with it, we've got to sign well, and we've got to integrate the players very, very quickly. If we do that, if we can create a buzz and a momentum about the place, much as the way that Hearts did, incidentally, last season, then I think that then we should be in a good position to start. It's not going to be a doddle next year. That's the thing. Hibs are a decent side. And as we've seen this year, the playoffs uh, are not an automatically negotiated thing. There's a Scottish Cup finalist, Falkirk, in that division. There is uh, St Mirren, FC coming down. Boo, FC coming down. So there's going to be a few difficult matches. And there is still the fact that we should be challenging in the Cups with the wage bill that we're, we're going to have for next season. As for heart and hand, we will be back next season. 
Um, hopefully you'll be glad to know, but maybe not. Maybe you're going off for Christ's sake. As I say, the delay of the last few weeks is we had two slots left and uh, we decided we'd wait until everything happened. Then it was problems getting everyone together for various reasons and that's why I just thought for a completest point of view, I'd wrap up the season here and then we'd have our big end of end of season summer special when we get everyone in, you know, Scott, Mark, etc., Cami, all these guys then to come in and chat to us and tell us and we'll award our Player of the Year award to Lewis McLeod and uh, have done with it. And that, that, that'll be pretty much it. So that is everything then from me. I've warbled on long enough. I'd like to hear what your thoughts on all this were. You can get in touch with us uh, at uh, ibroxrocks at playbackmedia.co.uk. That's ibroxrocks at playbackmedia.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at ibroxrocks. And you can also get in touch with us by the Facebook page, which is Heart and Hand Rangers Podcast on Facebook. All that it means for me to do is to thank our executive producers in London, Mr. Like me, Mr. Mike Lee, like me, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Myers, to thank our sound engineer Mr Stephen Arnoldi and to say to you guys thank you very much for listening to the pod, this has actually been a record season for us in terms of listeners and I appreciate that very much uh, thank you for, for keeping us near the top of the iPod download chart there's, there's several kind of new sporty pods springing up there but we, we hang in, in there consistently and I really do appreciate it, uh, it's been a bastard of a season, it's been a bastard of a three years I think we're entitled to think next season will be better. I think we're entitled to demand next season will be better because we're Rangers supporters. We don't settle. We don't accept mediocrity. We're at our worst when we do. We've got to fight battles all over the place. We've got to fight a weird country at the moment when things are topsy-turvy, where we get accused of being the establishment club. When I think when you look at who make up the parliament, who make up the Scottish parliament, who make up the councils, we are absolutely not the establishment. In fact, we're hated by them. So what we get is a, a peculiar situation where we get guys slagging us off from the media, from the political elite, uh, while telling us that we're in charge, which is, is quite a quite a good trick. But uh, we just need to stay strong as a family because we've got something that, that our enemies will never have, which is history, tradition, loyalty, friendship, and being Rangers. And in the end, is there anything better than that? Yeah, I don't think so. Anyway, my name's David Edgar, and I'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Cheers. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. Guess all the associated links for this podcast at ibroxrocks.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.